Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk to Sheikh Azra Rashid. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Good to see you again. My second yes. visit to your esteemed uh, mosque and to meet yourself. So, Alhamdulillah. It's a real pleasure to be here. For those who don't know, uh, Sheikh Azra is a scholar who currently lives in Birmingham, here in the UK. He began his studies in Birmingham, later moving to uh, Damascus to study. And uh, he's a teacher of Islamic studies. Um, but continues uh, to pursue his knowledge on Islamic fiqh, Aqidah and other contemporary issues. Now, he's the author of this book, Navigating the End of Time. Um, that's a fascinating cover design. I think there's obvious influence from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings uh, there. So why did you feel the need uh, to write this book, Sheikh? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <clears throat> With regard to the book, the mm. book has a history. The history relates to being exposed to a hadith on the end of times. So in the 1990s, there was numerous books published on the end of times, just the hadith right. without commentary. So right. a young person would pick up the books like Ibn Kathir's book, The Signs Before the Day of Judgment, mm-hmm. published by Darut Taqwa. And <clears throat> you read the book, but there was no commentary. Right. And know what we would refer to as tartib, ordering, giving a person a timeline as right. to what is the sequence of events, and this would lead to confusion. So that was one reason. Later on, <clears throat> when I started studying with the ulama, I was exposed to the book Ali Shah Ali Ashrati Sa'a, which is this book of uh, Al Imam Muhammad bin Abdi Rasul Al Barzanji one of the scholars of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, he wrote this book around well over 300 years ago. Mm. So the the Islamic date of death, which is 1103, he passed away. Right. So this book gives some kind of sequence and timeline from the time of the Prophet until the time of the author. But then many events were left for them to unfold and then subsequent generations of people will be able to unravel the meanings of those mm, hadith. Mm, mm. With the influx of technologies, then we became exposed to so many different signs of the end of times, like the mm. talking shoes and mm. so many uh, other technologies which were mentioned by the Prophet wasallam in the hadith. But one of the major <clears throat> factors which led me to write the book was people being exposed to cult leaders who will then misinterpret the hadith and exploit people right. to the point that you had in the year 1999 remember the Y2K bug yeah <clears throat> you had people saying that the Y2K virus mm. will yeah. uh, have the computers crashing and the airplanes will be falling That's right. from the skies I do remember actually yeah. and you had Tony Blair entering the the dome in London and but that was on the night of in Ramadan right on the night of Ramadan so as Muslims many young Muslims were talking the Y2K virus will make the system collapse and we need to go out into the countryside and get ready for the end of times and you had Armageddon cults actually going out into the countryside with candles waiting for the end of times to happen yes and all of this is a result of not understanding the fiqh the, the understanding of the ahadith of the end of times. Mm. But this didn't only happen with Y2K. There were n- numerous mm. instances. For re- If you remember the Olympic Games in 
2012, there were people misinterpreting the hadith regarding uh, an event happening in the month of Ramadan, which will be, which is referred to as the Hudda. The Hudda is the great explosion, and they said, in fact, it's the British army will place, the British government for some strange reason will place nuclear weapons around London and carry out a nuclear attack on London mm. to bring in about a world government. So Muslims were misusing the hadith and compatibilizing that with conspiracy theories. Mm. So you had Rick Clay in 2007, who, a young man who made conspiracy theories about the London Olympic Games and mm. the logo. And then you had Ian R. Crane, who's passed away as well. Both of them have passed away. Rick Clay committed suicide after, and Ian R. Crane just passed away. Mm. But they, mm. they were exponents of a conspiracy theory of nuclear attacks happening on the London Games. But young Muslims were falling into this right. and applying some of the hadith in order to fit in or forcing an interpretation on the hadith in accordance with conspiracy theories. So you're trying to, you're trying to bring this, these, uh, all these hadiths in some kind of normative Sunni tradition with some commentary, some good common sense, and also to try and uh, uncover and even expose some of the cult leaders. You write a lot about cults in your book. But the, the book's divided into two sections, isn't it? it it's, uh, there's the map and then there's the compass. Could you say a few words about the way the book is organised? So th the first segment is with regard to the history of the end of time. So right. I do mention a few of the books written on Ashratu Sa'a. I make reference to a book of Nu'aim bin Hamad. Recently, someone attempted to critique the book and they said, why is he relying upon Nu'aim bin Hamad when Al-Imam al-Dhahabi said the book is full of forgeries? The response to that from myself is firstly that if you check the end notes, which you have been reading, yeah. you will find most of the references, the hadith references, are from authentic works. So, right. for, for instance, on this page, you'll notice there is only one reference from Nu'aim bin Hamad. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. But the rest you'll notice Ibn Abi Shayba, Sulami, Sahim, Abul Imam Muslim, Muslim, Ibn Majah, yeah, yeah. Imam Ahmad. The majority of the quotes mm. of the hadith are not from mm. uh, Nu'aim bin Hamad. Secondly, not all the hadith in the collection of Nu'aim bin Hamad are actually weak or forgeries. There are Sahih and Hassan right. hadith within the collection. Right. Secondly, the collection was utilized by Al-Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Rasul al-Barzanji in his book Al-Isha'a. Right. He utilizes mm. Nu'aim bin Hamad. Uh, Al-Imam Ibn Hajar al-Haytami al-Makki also utilizes Nu'aim bin Hamad in his book on the Mahdi. Al-Imam Jalaluddin al-Suyuti also utilizes him. He, he is relied upon by many people. So the, the beginning section deals with some of the main works written on end of times on Ashratu Sa'a. It eases the person into the importance of the Sharatul Sa'ab through the hadith of Jibreel alayhi well, salam. I was going to come to that because that is obviously indisputably an authentic hadith. It's like it's in Bukhari, is it? Yeah, and, and, and Sahih of Imam Muslim. And this is the, the, the opening uh, hadith that you mentioned. You quote <coughs> from this extraordinary um, hadith, or I won't quote from it before in, in its entirety, but it's often called the, the mother of all prophetic narrations, I, I understand. 
where the angel Gabriel appears to the prophet upon whom be peace and instructs him about Islam. Um, and I just want to ask you about this. There's an extraordinary, just a couple of sentences um, where uh, Gabriel says to the prophet, uh, talking about the future, the slave girl shall give birth to her mistress and you will see barefooted, naked, destitute Bedouins competing in the construction of towering buildings. I mean, why is this hadith so important? And, and in what ways has this come true? Because clearly it has come true in some respects today in a very dramatic way. We were talking about Mecca before we recorded and what's happening around the Haram. So the first segment, is in reference to the slave girl giving birth to the uh, her mistress. Yeah. This traditionally was um, commented upon as being what that different kings, when they take slave girls, then they will have children with those slave girls yeah. giving birth uh, to their own mistress. But right. later on, some of the ulama say the segment of the hadith has two sections. The slave girl shall give birth to a mistress. And the second one, the first one refers to a change of mindset. Right. That can, you, the, can you elaborate on so, that? This is very interesting. Uh, and, uh, the, the change of mindset in terms of, in ancient times, the upbringing of people was such that a child would not treat their mother as being what? as being a, a slave girl to them. Right. They would treat their mother as their mother. But right. in the end of times, a, a shift in mindset will occur. This does not negate the traditional explanation mm -hmm. because sometimes a hadith can have multiple interpretations within one statement. The second part, which is You'll see the naked destitute, barefoot people competing in constructing tall buildings. How, how does that come true? Traditionally, Al-Imam yeah. Qurtubi said, <clears throat> oh, it's become true because in, in Cordoba, in Spain, they're building tall buildings. But today, yeah. we see the Burj Khalifa, which I make a reference to in Dubai, such a huge construction, the tallest building in the world, but wow. they do not even have a drainage system. Wow. So the Bedouins have literally constructed or commissioned the construction of the tallest building in the world, but they have hundreds of slave workers from Indo subcontinent coming every day from Africa and from India who take tons and tons of excrement mm. and shift that every day. So you have the, the combination of capitalism in its true yeah. form, but at the hands of the Bedouins, not the traditional rulers. So the traditional rulers like the Ottomans were not Bedouins, no. they were sophisticated rulers, meaning they've had hundreds of years of kingship. And, and, and the Saudi authority is talking of building the tallest building in the world, in, in, is it, Mecca, in, in, in Mecca itself. Yes. Um, so this is, this is quite a dramatic So the, that sign has occurred literally now. We've literally. had a shift in two ways. A shift in the mindsets of people in, through the education system. Right. And as you would know, the education system, the modern education system, was only introduced to keep the peasants in the factories at bay. So they, they are molded in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So that education system has been shifted from the west to the east, right. changing the mindsets of the people, that the children now will treat their parents like slaves, 
and then the literal manifestation, the material manifestation in the construction of tall buildings, mm. a, a, a shift not only in mindset, but a shift even in city construction, city planning, mm. Mm. A, a shift from uh, old cities, old Arab cities were constructed in accordance with uh, a view of the environment. So you've been to Marrakesh, how the old city is constructed, mm. it's keeping in mind the environment. Mm. Mm. But the new cities, they do not keep the environment in mind. No. They, they construct everything with marble, marble which gives off more heat as opposed to yeah, stone yeah. Um, and mud, mm. uh, like the ancient cities. So mm. all of this shift, and in the Hadith of Dajjal, which is cited in the book later, Tamim al-Dari, uh, the Hadith of Tamim al-Dari, Dajjal later asks Tamim al-Dari, how do the Arabs live? Do they still live in their tents? Mm. It's an interesting question because yeah. in the end of times they will shift from their tents to these tall constructions, these tall buildings. Well, you mentioned the Dajjal. I mean, who is the Dajjal? Uh, I mean, for someone who doesn't know anything about this subject, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about an individual, a historical person who will come in the future. And what are the signs <clears throat> of his coming? So there's a few things with regard to his identity as well. Generally, people read the hadith of Nawas bin Sam'an in the Sahih of Imam Muslim, which is a long hadith, which gives you the entire details of his appearance and when he will appear in the end of times before the descent of Isa right. But with regard to the exact identity of a Dajjal, people disputed right. the exact identity. Some of them went with the opinion that Ibn Sayyad, a young Jewish man who lived in Al-Madinatul Munawra in the time of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is Ibn Sayyad. Some people took this position. But the correct position is that Dajjal is an individual who was uh, created by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and will appear as a Messiah in the end of times, starting from the direction of Khurasan, then Asfahan, Khurasan being in Afghanistan. He will make his descent into Asfahan, which is in modern day Iran and then going to cities like Basra and Al-Kufa, and then going to Syro-Palestine. When he enters Syro-Palestine, he will have a global outreach. Wow. But his appearance is post Ad-Dajjal, uh, post Al-Mahdi, post Armageddon. What ah. Christians refer to as Armageddon. We refer to it as Al-Malhamatul Kubra, the Great Slaughter. So he will be appearing in a post-apocalyptic world. So, so the Mahdi then will be uh, coming, will return or will come into the world before then. Um, so who is the Mahdi then? It, it, and is he the same as the, like the second coming? Is it like, the, like a, or the Antichrist? I mean, who, who would he be? So the Mahdi is, is a figure who will be born in the family, the progeny of the mm. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He will be a Khalifa. Right. Meaning a Caliph on earth who will establish Islamic rule mm-hmm. at a time when the world will be filled with what? Muli'atil ardu dhulman wa the hadith states, the earth will be filled with oppression and tyranny. So the levels of oppression and tyranny will fill the world to a point that a, a, a person will appear like al-Mahdi. But he's not a prophet. He's not a messiah. Right. He's not, uh, according to the Sunnis, Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'at, which is us, he's not uh, a ma'asum imam, which is a sinless Imam, he is what an Imam who is a Khalifa, like the previous Khulafa al-Rashidun. He will be guided by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but he is not what we refer to as Maasum, absolutely sinless, mm. in the sense that he does not have the nature to sin. We say 
he can be protected mahfuz by Allah from sin but not ma'asum ma'asum would mean it's intrinsically impossible for someone to sin we right. only say that's mm-hmm. only for prophets so he will appear but the, the issue goes back to the reason for writing the book there have been Mahdi claimants mm-hmm. so you've had Juhayman al-Utaybi in Mecca from 1979 when he hijacked the Mecca Masjid and you have had even Harun Yahya and the likes who, who yeah. have been Mahdi claimants. Yeah. So the Mahdi claimants and the signs before the Mahdi and the signs before the Dajjal is something which people have placed, uh, they have made convoluted, people become confused as to the timeline. Right. What timeline, in which order will these signs So your, your occur? book is trying to clarify the timeline and get, get the right order of events rather than this yes. kind of uh, chaotic picture. So you, you mentioned um, Mirzan Ghulam Kadiani and his claim to be the Mahdi and the Messiah, I think. Well, what's his story and why, why is he a problem, do you think, for Sunni Muslims? So within the book, there's a few false Mahdi claimants I've covered. Mm. One of the most prominent is Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani. Right. And I give a bit of background. So generally, I'm interested in the psychology of these individuals. And like Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, what was the psychology of... the Apostle Paul in the first century. Yes, what was the psychology of Paul converting? And I mentioned to you more recently with regard to William Sargent's uh, theory where he states uh, extreme hatred for something can sometimes lead someone to a sudden conversion toward Mm, what what, what they had bigotry against. So so here in this case, uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani, I made my own objective study if people can call it objective, meaning the Qadianis, or they refer to themselves as the Ahmadi community, mm. they will say my study is not objective, which is fine, but I've attempted to reference everything. So you've, mm. you've noticed in the end notes, mm. there are references yeah. for most of the claims. Even recently, some people associated with an Indian seminary, they claim that my references to, uh, to uh, Hakim Nuruddin, Mirza Ghulam's <coughs> caliph, those were not referenced properly. They made that claim. But in reality, there are references <coughs> made in the book <coughs> on the end notes. And we have additional, I've notified my editor with regard to those references, and he will be furnishing up more references right. for that association with that Indian seminary or a particular figure within so, that so, Indian but seminary. He, he claimed to be the Mahdi, so why in your view <coughs> was he not the Mahdi, but, but a false claimant to that title? So I mentioned in, 19, in the 1860s, he went to Sialkot, worked as a clerk, had interactions with Christians. Right. And why I mentioned Paul to you was because Christian missionaries in the 1800s were very volatile in their preaching yeah <clears throat> not too different to the hatun tashis of the world today and they would use vulgar language against islam yeah. i believe mirza had a psychological conversion similar to paul in the sense that he went to the point of insulting isa later in his works he has insults to isa but why would a muslim insult isa it seemed like a psychological assault on his mind. Mm. Later on, he started to take drugs uh, because in India they have a tradition 
we even have it in our native region a hakim tradition we have a in the local village you'll have apothecary meaning uh, a medicine man yeah. who will give you natural medicines mm. and he took some of these medicines and some of those medicines contained cannabis oh. and aside from cannabis and i've mentioned the references as well yeah, yeah. aside from cannabis there was opium and i believe that opium and cannabis combined with a, an inflated ego because at the time people respected him for refuting christians to the point that some of the uh, ahli hadith journals at the time they mentioned that people would uh, even take his wudu water for for blessings wow meaning that leads to a megalomania you yeah. see that in some of the the peers today in some of the peer culture with if everyone's kissing your hands yeah, and kissing yeah, your feet yeah, and yeah. and you do not have discipline it can lead to megalomania so a combination of megalomania a combination of psychological assault on the mind of mirza gulam by the missionaries mm. and a combination of drugs i believe led him to claim to being a messiah and initially claimed to be mahdi yeah. which is a false claim because the mahdi has to be ahlul bayt from the family of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he's from the people of the hijaz from western arabian peninsula not from india so what mirza did he he uh, he did what i mentioned the fallacy <coughs> of forcing an interpretation right. on the hadith yeah. so the hadith mentions that isa alayhi salam will descend on the eastern minaret of damascus so what mirza gulam said is if you draw a line from damascus all the way to qadian uh, you re- it's the east of damascus qadian is on the east of damascus that's forcing an interpretation yeah. so he had a minaret constructed and the minaret was never completed in his lifetime so the the so the prophecy was not fulfilled for him no. but his followers today the ahmadis so called ahmadis they will attempt to convince everyone that all the prophecies have been fulfilled if you remember the por- uh, portion where i mention the eclipse he claimed that the two the lunar and the solar eclipse occurred in his lifetime That's which right. is a sign of the mahdi <laughs> i refute that yeah. in detail yeah, uh, and uh, there are many other things which i mentioned with regard to mirza gulam okay now in the book you write a great deal about cults in general not necessarily islamic ones of course but what is a cult and how can we protect ourselves from these groups because these are very intense little grouplets aren't they that can can lead to great harm i mean the, one of the sects you mentioned led to a mass suicide so they they can be a serious problem yes led by apple white the mm. leader of heaven's gate mm. uh, i think they committed suicide in 1996 but cult brainwashing is such a thing that if you uh, read books on brainwashing you'll find that two types of uh, brainwashing are very effective one mm. is what they refer to as torture which is carried out by governments so Saddam Hussein's government other governments all governments are mm. well known for torturing what the british did the irish with the white sound and what um, the americans did or what uh, every other government is involved in some form of torture where they torture the victim to brainwash them china is a famous example post uh, mao zedong uh, but a second form of brainwashing they refer to it as religious brainwashing but islam as a deen doesn't have brainwashing in the sense if you look at the methods of brainwashing it's bringing people into states into uh, hyper states so breathing like um, 
uh, Rajneesh, the Rajneesh cult, they would do uh, heavy breathing exercises, uh, oxygenating the mind. Yeah, and that can affect your, your mindset. Uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah. some of these groups, they have, or you have the voodoo type dancing, mm. where people dance around the fire to the point that they get into an ecstatic state, they become more suggestible. Or for instance, Hitler, what he would do, he would have mass audiences and they would shout for long mm. before Hitler would go on the podium and get, deliver a speech because now they are exposed, their minds have uh, relaxed and they are exposed to what to, to being indoctrinated. So these are methods of brainwashing which have been covered by uh, so many different writers. I referenced some of them in the book. But what interests me here in terms of is a specific form of cult brainwashing. Mm. That specific form of cult brainwashing for the book is with regard to end of times. Yeah. If someone isolates a group of people, isolation is one point. They isolate them from wider society. Secondly, they misinterpret uh, hadith, in the case of Muslims, hadith and Quran. Uh, like Harun Yahya, he kept people in a, an isolated compound. He misinterpreted uh, hadith and sunnah, uh, the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. And the third step uh, would be, uh, aside from isolation, misinterpretation, is an emphasis on dreams, mm. an emphasis on uh, visions, on these type of things. Not that in Islam we have dream interpretation. We know dreams are true and dreams have meanings. But when you have a combination of False dreams, because Juhayman al-Utaybi even claimed to have dreams that the Mahdi will appear. Muhammad al-Qahtani's brother-in-law is the Mahdi. He combined all of these things. And this shows that it's not from one particular group. So you have mm. the Christians in the Bible Belt, but you have Christians in Russia, like the Viserion, who was arrested last year for claiming to be Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I was arrested. I didn't know he was arrested. Yes, oh, yeah. so, uh, there's actually a video of him. You can see him looking like Jesus and trying yes, to get followers. So that was one good thing Putin Gosh. did. Or Miller in Australia, who claims to be a former Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have uh, in, in America, there's numerous cases. Similarly, in the Muslim world, you've had historical cases. So if you remember, I mentioned historical cases yeah. from the time of <coughs> Musaylam al-Kadhab and then from al-Muqanna, the masked one, the veiled one, mm. who even raised an entire army to fight the caliphate. Uh, this has happened historically. And uh, Juhayman al-Utaybi case in note, because he is Salafi and not Sufi, so people tend to associate that type of brainwashing with Sufi cults, but it's also found in Salafi cults as well. So Juhayman al-Utaib was a fine example of that, isolating himself in the desert, uh, withdrawing, uh, then misinterpreting hadith. It's a do-it-yourself type of process with right. the hadith, right. and then utilizing dreams and visions in order yeah, to yeah. convince people. It's a very potent mixture, isn't it? I mean, the, the yes. isolation and the dreams and the hadith and all mixed up together. And, and it uh, confuses and, the mind of the... Yeah, yeah. Of the, the I mean, you mentioned um, how, how Yahya, uh, as, a, as a kind of a cult leader, I remember seeing uh, his very colorful books uh, uh, on sale in Islamic bookshops. And I actually, um, I bought one, actually. Um, and he was enormously popular, wasn't he, for refuting Darwinism. And in fact, everything was to do with all the modern ills, it seemed to me, he attributed to Darwinism, whether it be, you know, atheism or any evil in the world. So, but, but, but he has fallen from grace, isn't he? I think he's now languishing in prison in Turkey. So what, what's, what's his oh, Over a thousand-year-old sentence. So 
<clears throat> there is a book written on Harun Yahya, the Mahdi will wear, uh, will wear Amani, the name is like this. That book was written pre his arrest. And they give some historical background. The author gives some historical mm -hmm. background with regard to Harun Yahya. Harun Yahya was actually influenced by the Quranis so who reject the Sunnah. So some of his positions on women's covering was taken from the Quran-only sect. Right. Even though the Quran-only sect uh, person who influenced him uh, later disavowed him and said, I have no connection in that sense yeah. with his more bizarre views. But what Harun Yahya did is in the 1990s, he, he presented himself as an orthodox yes. uh, Muslim, yes. <clears throat> in, in the sense as a Sunni Muslim who is defending uh, mainstream Islam against evolution. But his book, The Evolution Deceit, if you remember, it was actually a summary taken from the Discovery Institute's work. So he was he was borrowing very heavily from Christian creationist yes. publications and websites. So he was actually plagiarizing or bar borrowing a lot of this stuff. This wasn't his original. Yes. just recycling it and making it widely known in a Muslim audience. Yes. So so um, uh, Darwin's Black Box and right. uh, Evolution: A Theory in Crisis. These were all the books written in that period. If yeah. you remember, yeah. he was taking that information and presenting it to a Muslim audience and then adding a few additional things like he was denying reality. Yes. So yes. Uh, that goes against yeah. Sunni belief, yeah, yeah. which uh, we state as Sunnis, haqa'iqul ashia ithabitatul. It says all an illusion. Yeah, 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 which is, weird. Yeah. the reality is something established, yeah. but he yeah. said everything's an, il uh, an illusion. Yeah. Falsely ascribing that to Ibn, gradually uh, revealed more and more meaning. You, you remove the peels. And then the the, the uh, naked women started. But yeah, uh, on TV shows, he used to be there, and he used to, he used to have these clearly, you know, uh, a certain type of woman, very young, very beautiful, but it's very scantily dressed, just sort of flanking him. Yes. Uh, in the and he thought, what is going on here? It's supposed to be an Islamic channel. Now you're these women are uh, very strange behaviour. Strangely enough, you had many prominent people, even attending his television show and. Uh, but I don't think they were aware of no. the cultic yeah. makeup of his group, yeah. which was he was keeping what he referred to as the kittens in isolation. Yeah. He sexually abused yeah. many of those women. Yeah. Uh, they, they found 60,000 contraceptive pills in his compound. He said it was to balance the the um, the height of the women, meaning the menstrual cycles of the women. Uh, right. but, uh, so all of that detail is in the book with regard to Harun Yahya. But what interests us is the apocalyptic end of times aspect of yeah, Harun Yahya. Yeah, yeah. There were subtle undertones of Mahdi claimant, uh, being a Mahdi uh, claimant. For, of, for him being of a Mahdi himself. Right, right. So he misinterpreted some of the hadith claiming that the Mahdi will be from Istanbul, mm. Constantinople. Uh, which of course is where he's from. Yes, yeah, so yeah. which is false. Uh, 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 because the, the reconquering of Constantinople is mentioned in the hadith and yeah. he, he misinterpreted that hadith to say he, uh, the Mahdi will be from Istanbul. Perhaps he would even go ahead to forge a false lineage as well, like some people did. They would make false lineages to claim they are from the family of the Prophet Sallallahu mm. Alaihi Wasallam. Mm. So similar to him, I mentioned Abdullah Hashim and uh, Hashim Studios. And also, uh, if you remember the... Uh, documentary the arrivals oh gosh there was a there was a documentary in 2008 the <laughs> arrivals what they would do is get movie clips and play uh, you know scenes from movies like 
Lord of the Rings and other dramatic movies yeah. and then place the hadith in between right. to give the viewer the, the impression that the signs of the end of times are happening mm. now and the Mahdi will be appearing imminently and all these type of things. Eventually, a branch group of that led by Abdullah Hashim brainwashed a few youngsters, took them to Germany, exploited them for their money. He bought restaurants and then now the German police is after him and he's absconded from Germany and gone elsewhere. Mm. And they also claim that the Mahdi has appeared in Basra city in the form of Ahmad al-Hassan, who is uh, some Shia cleric right. who opposes the Twelver sect. So all of this detail is in there. It's a very, this book is full of extremely rich detail. It's absolutely fascinating reading. I, I'm almost, almost at random. I just wanted to quote, if I may, uh, a passage uh, from the book, page 230. Uh, the subsection is entitled, The Anglo-European Monoculture. And then you quote a hadith, which I've never quite understood in the way you, you interpreted it, but it makes a lot of sense what you say. So you write, with the invention of automobiles and aeroplanes to transport people to Sham, the founding of Zionism, the finding of pharaonic mummies, and the dismantling of the caliphate as a system of governance, the Judeo-Christian or Western Anglo-European monoculture replaced the noble Muslim tradition and lifestyle. And then you quote a hadith from Imam al-Bukhari, the prophet upon whom be peace said, you will follow the ways of those people who were before you, span by span, cubit by cubit, i.e. inch by inch, so much so that even if they entered a lizard's hole, you would follow them. We said, O Allah's messenger, do you mean the Jews and the Christians? And he said, whom else? Mm. So that's the end. Of, then you make an interesting comment. This obsession with the ways of the Jews and the Christians never occurred until this modern era. Mm. This is what I found very enlightening and has intensified with the exporting of global corporations, designer labels, entertainment, ideology and lifestyles, among a host of things. Muslim unity under a caliph and an allegiance to a caliph, what became known as pan-Islam, was replaced by the Western ideal of nation-states. Few today know any other form of governance. It has been a century since the last caliphate. But what I found particularly interesting was that where you've contextualized this, this, uh, the Prophet's comments about the Jews and the Christians, whom else? Yes. So this has only really uh, been relevant to come true in the very contemporary world and not before then. Um, do you have, have any thoughts about that? So uh, if you look back, uh, a Judeo-Christian alliance has never been made historically except in the past 100 years. So yes. uh, since the Austrian... Uh, founder of Zionism. Uh, Herschel. Yeah, Herschel. And I make reference to him as well. And the Balfour Declaration, 1917. All, all of that. All comes but this together. is very modern. It's not happened before because the Jews uh, were, despised. It, it were despised by Christians. They were persecuted Even for until centuries. recent. Even right back to the early church. You see the early, the saints of the early church, okay. people like Chrysostom and others who are praised for being wonderful spiritual leaders. They were vicious in their attacks on Jews as Jews. I mean, talk about anti-Semitic. This was like really seriously anti-Semitic. But you're right. Only very, very recently has this completely changed. And then suddenly this Hadith even uh, Jew anti-Jewish riots broke out when King Richard, uh, the so-called who I refer to as yeah, the lioness yeah. heart, yeah. is uh, was crowned. Anti-Jewish riots broke out because yeah. they were the tax collectors for the king. Right. So they, they were despised by the West to the point that even Hitler, when he carried out uh, his monst monstrosity of Holocaust, mm. that was a Western. Uh, 
fault, not Palestinian fault. So even uh, hatred for Jews was so embedded within Europe. Yeah, at, at the Nuremberg trials, some of the, the leading Nazis uh, defended their anti-Semitism on the ground. But look at Martin Luther. Mm. Now, Martin Luther, the great German reformer who, who brought about the Lutheran Church and the whole Reformation, he was a vicious anti-Semite as well. And they, they say, we're just quoting his work. And they were just quoting his work. Well, mm. a bit more than that. So you're right, there's indigenous to, to Europe, this, this anti-Semitism. Um, but, but the current yeah. alliance, which is supporting Zionism, so you have the Americans supporting Zionism. It's based on the yes. the, the Christian Zionists yes. in in America. You have you have a strong Zionist lobby here in the UK. Uh, that alliance between and exporting a Judeo-Christian right. uh, monoculture is something a sign that we are witnessing today. That's a, that, that's a major. I've never seen that hadith as a as a prophecy being fulfilled. Now, now you've explained it. This is why. When you talk about having a commentary on Hadiths, it's so enlightening sometimes. Isolated Hadiths, I don't always get it, but when you put it in this context, they can make a lot more sense. And there's another one, another another one, my, my favourite Hadith actually, which you, on page 235, you've subtitled Hot Coal. Uh, as uh, Termody uh, uh, reported one of his Hadith, the messenger of God upon whom be peace said, a time of need for patience will come to the people in which adhering to one's religion will be like grasping a hot coal grasping a hot coin is that, is that difficult end quote and then you say this hadith informs us of the difficulty of practicing the religion in the end times and during these uh, fitan that's a plural of fitna isn't it yeah. uh, so i wasn't familiar with that word until you this is also the period of time in which completion of one tenth of the religion this is another hadith of course will be equivalent to fulfilling the entire religion the crucial secret of which and this is the bit i found very helpful is that most of the actions in the religion in islam depend on right governance yes. with rulings related to trade marriage divorce uh, family law penal codes and innumerable other things needing to be affected in the presence of a caliph mm. judges courts and enforcement from the ruler with the caliphate dismantled, the believer can only possibly fulfill one-tenth of his religion, uh, yet has the reward of ten times that. And then you quote um, the great Hadith scholar of Damascus um, of the last Badr century. Thank you. And he was asked, after the uh, caliphate had been abolished, do we live in the period when holding on to the religion will be like grasping a hot ember? He responded by saying, shockingly I think, we live in the time later than that when people wake up in the morning believers, but by evening become unbelievers. Yeah, shocking. And that, yes. that of course, is is, is uh, yeah. So with true as well. with regard to that, the first part, yeah, the the caliphate, yeah, the yeah. essential need of caliphate. Uh, the common example for us is marriage laws. So today right. you have uh, women complaining about dysfunctional husbands. Uh, in the old days, you could take him to a qadi. The Qadi will then right. straighten the man. But today, who do you take him to? They, people set up all these Sharia courts, but they have no real uh, judicial power, mm. no real enforcement laws. So that's just in family law. Right. In so, much, so many of our ahkam, uh, legal rulings, we cannot apply those legal no. rulings. And the second part you'll be more familiar with, which is people wake up as believers and in the evening they are unbelievers. Yeah. In the sense they are exposed to various un, uh, kufr. Exactly. And they can ex easily adopt a, a belief of kufr, like belief in Mirza Qadiani, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that Mirza Qadiani was actually a Dajjal. Yeah, yeah, shocking. And, and another another one, um, which uh, is extraordinary, uh, page 289, 
um, and this is obviously quite controversial in a, in a UK context to talk about this, though not in other parts of the world, legalized homosexual marriages. And you say, in these turbulent times, expect the sign of nikah al-rajul al-rajul, forgive my Arabic, meaning a marriage contract between men. In the past, you've, this is very interesting insight, scholars interpreted this as openly homosexual relationships amongst Muslims. But we now know it literally means marriage contracts of single-sex couples in certain countries. Now, your next comment really rocked me when I read this, and I must admit I've not heard this before, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'd like you to elaborate on it if you wouldn't mind. It is inevitable, you say, that before long a Muslim-majority country, supported by a board of scholars, will legitimate homosexual marriage, calling down on it the punishment, as mentioned, this is earlier, passage of red wind or landslides the disfigurement of a whole community will occur at a later period before the sun rises from the west now what shocked me was not the punishment bit but your your belief that before long a muslim majority country supported by a board of scholars presumably ulama you mean will legitimate homosexual marriage. Uh, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but because I guess if you look at a certain trajectory, particularly things are going on in certain Middle East countries, I won't mention them, but very well-known Middle East countries, where you're seeing things happening there now, which have been unthinkable a year ago. In fact, most people probably didn't believe they're really happening, but they are. You know, certain pop concerts and certain other activities. Alcohol. Alcohol and other things. So suddenly what you're saying doesn't seem quite so implausible. But do you want to kind of expand on so this? So in 2010, when I was in Hajj, yeah. I met uh, a Sufi sheikh who said to me he heard from a Sheikh Tibr. Sheikh Tibr was deemed one of the uh, high-level Sufis in, uh, in Mecca al-Mukarramah. And Sheikh Tibr said, not far from now you will see gambling in, in, the, in the Haramain, in the two holy sanctuaries. And we thought this was far-fetched. Yes. But recently you must have witnessed a, a fatwa legitimizing a certain game which involves... Uh, gambling being uh, permissible now in Saudi Arabia and then everything else that has happened recently right. in Saudi Arabia. Right. But what I base this comment on, firstly, just with regard to the source of that hadith. Yeah, so that's what I want to ask you. What's the source of this uh, hadith? So, where we're talking about a marriage contract between men. Uh, so yeah. th there's two wordings of this. There's nikah rajuli ar-rajula wa thalika mimma harram Allahu wa rasooluhu wa yamkutullahu alihi uh, this Barzanji cites it in Ali Shah, but there's a second wording, Nikahul Marati al Marata. That's why I just read, yeah. Uh, 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 the one you read was Nikahul Rajuli al Rajula. There's Nikahul Marati al Marata. Okay. A woman marrying a woman as right, well. Right, right. Yeah. He references that to Adarakutni al Bayhaqi and Ibn al-Najjar. But there are other references to that hadith. So this is an authentic hadith? Yes, yeah. I would believe this is an okay. authentic hadith. Okay. And the second hadith, with regard to the red winds, yeah, yeah. mentions, uh, which I give the citation to, the reference to earlier, mm. uh, mentions that red winds will and landslides and disfigurement will happen to people who legitimize the action of the people of Lut, the Qawm of Lut. Yeah, yeah. So that means that Muslims will legitimize those actions. Wow. The hadith is very clear on that. But what made me write that at that particular point was because we were observing the recognition of Israel, for instance, yes. by 
thick authorities, people who have yes. high positions well, in yes, some government, yes, yes. and who I refer to as, uh, who take the position of al-fiqh al-taysiri, which is a, a particular strand of uh, a trend towards taking fiqh positions which make everything permissible. Mm. And one of those things I can see with the LGBT lobby that we have here in the West, lobbying and pressurizing certain governments into giving fatwa that these type of marriages are permissible. Even in Pakistan, uh, there are loopholes within the law. So the, in Pakistan, they give certain recognition of uh, hermaphrodites. People utilize those loopholes and they can ah, use those loopholes to right. validate even a nikah. So if a person goes to a Pakistani uh, office and they say, oh, I feel like I'm a man or a woman, they can they can utilize those loopholes and have right. a man declared as a woman. Right. And then when he's declared as a woman, he can also do nikah with a man. Right, right. So there are so many loopholes just in Pakistan. Similarly, in other countries, as time will go, the hadith states, ma min amin there is no year except that the year that comes after it is more evil. So every year the increase of evil is happening. God, it's really, really shocking. So um, just very briefly, uh, can you tell us about your experience with conspiracy theorists? Because <laughs> this seems to be a big problem online, uh, constantly encountering most bizarre theories. So, but, but you have experience of these people. Here, the, firstly, some people who take anti-establishmentarian views mm. are labeled wrongly as conspiracy theorists. Right. So we need to make that distinction between just having anti-establishment views or anti-capitalism views or certain political views are not always necessarily conspiracy so, theories. So sometimes the establishment can use these conspiracy theories language to weaponize uh, or to delegitimize rather any criticism of, of their own position. And lump it, everyone it, it, with. And, and it's a very clever move, isn't it? So you can just, you tend to discredit everyone by saying conspiracy theory. But of course, of course there are actual, sometimes there are really conspiracies. They do happen. And some of them are well documented historically. So, yes. so one has to look at a case by case basis, I guess, exactly. rather than simply say it's all false. But actual conspiracy theorists yeah. who I mention uh, in the book, uh, an example of that would be flat earth theory. Yeah. So I've had a debate with an actual flat earth theorist, a Muslim, yeah, really who believes the earth is actually flat. Oh, yeah. Now the yeah, problem... I, I know someone who's just it, like that. Yeah. <laughs> the he, he, look, this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, of course, but he's actually a bright guy. I really, I really like him, so I respect him. But, and, I, and I discovered several months ago that he believes the earth is flat. And I'm thinking... Where did that come from? <laughs> so the, uh, the problem is not so much their belief on the earth being flat. The problem is how they believe all the world's governments have conspired. That's it. Na NASA, satellites, government, Putin media, with Biden. Everyone. Because you, you really you must involve a global conspiracy for it to, to be so... And then, and then they need yeah. to cover the, the, loo, the, the holes in the theory, which would mean that the, a ship sailing to the north yeah. uh, cannot sell off the off the edge so they they believe there's some magnetic pull that takes it around oh really i don't know so uh, and there's two suns because they need to explain uh why the earth uh, the seasons change the way they change so they they make a theory they need to ad hoc uh, yes um, ad hoc uh, modifications at every point believing there's this many moons and this many suns so uh, the most bizarre one of the most bizarre conspiracy theories was flatter theory but there are many more bizarre theories i mentioned if you remember 
uh, my experience with two brothers who believed that the vaccines now is it the, the COVID-19? Yes, so let me make a caveat here. Yeah. If someone claims that the vaccines are harming people and they have scientific legitimate proof to, yeah. to validate that, that is not a conspiracy theory. No. What was a conspiracy theory was claiming that the uh, 5G towers are being placed and causing uh, uh, the yeah. virus, yes. which they claimed. Yes. And then claiming that the vaccines are intentionally being put out to kill yeah. the entire population. That's so a conspiracy. It, yeah. Now, what these people do is discredit <laughs> valid right. criticism. Because we need valid criticism in society. If we don't have valid criticism, then everyone becomes a sheep yeah. when lockdowns happen. And, and another and example would be, again, it's very difficult to say this in the West, although it's a commonplace, I think, throughout the world. You talk about, you, you mentioned already the, the power of the, the Jewish lobby in, in Britain, uh, which, which is palpably the case. But the, the classic response to that would be, oh, that you're a conspiracy theorist. No, you know. Because uh, they are it, lumping it, it, you it, with uh, anti what well, they anti, refer to anti, as anti-Semitism. But, but, but it's not anti-Semitism, nor is it a conspiracy theory. It's, it's a palpable fact that one can demonstrate empirically. The simple power of certain interest groups and the power they exert over political processes and MPs is obvious, much more so in the United States, I, I would suggest. But to even say this, you, you label it a conspiracy theorist because it's like all Jewish conspiracies going back to the Nazis. So you, you associate it with the Nazis and you discredit the whole thing and then you can't talk about it anymore, which then sounds like a conspiracy it does sound like a conspiracy where you can't even talk about something anymore. So the whole thing becomes very toxic and, and people aren't just calming down and just looking at things objectively. Um, Again, if you, if you were to talk about the world financial system, hmm. the banking system, and you mentioned specific families, yeah. that would also be labelled as conspiracy theorists. Yeah, yeah. So here in the book, I kind of give guidance to younger Muslims not to fall into uh, illegitimate conspiracy theories, meaning... Yeah. Conspiracy theories that have no actual foundation uh, discredit your argument, uh, like Holocaust denial. Mm, mm. What benefit is there in denying mm. uh, a historical fact? Mm. Okay, someone may say David Irving, was his name David Irving? David the, Irving the man the who was silent. Yeah. I believe he should have freedom of speech mm. and people can discredit him through actual scientific and but historical see, You mentioned him, actually, because he, he was, he was a, uh, he's called a Holocaust denier. And many of his statements, so he's, he's an expert historian of, of the Third Reich and so on. But I, I actually seen him on video uh, on YouTube, because some of his videos are still around, they're not being taken down, where he actually ultimately says, look, I have to uh, disagree with some of my, you know, um, Holocaust denying colleagues. There is actually evidence the Holocaust happened. Uh, and he actually mentioned specific documents, specific events in Poland and, and, and the eastern, uh, the western part of Russia, where there was a systematic extermination of Jews simply for being Jews. Now, he, he will quibble about Auschwitz, and I'm not going to go there, it's all very difficult. But I'm saying even he actually accepts the Holocaust happened. He quibbles about this aspect of it or that aspect of it. The numbers. And, and the numbers. And for that, he is, he is labelled, I think, incorrectly as a Holocaust denier. But we as Muslims would say one innocent Jew being killed is just as bad as six course, million innocent Jews being yeah, killed. Yeah. As Muslims, that's our position by but people. But the point is you can't even discuss some things without it triggering this conspiracy But for David response. Irving's yeah. videos to be taken down... Yeah, which they are. Yeah. It, it violates you, uh, freedom of speech. And uh, at the same time... 
uh, if we have a truthful position on anything, we can easily uh, debunk that position yeah. rather than silencing that position. But again, the purpose of the book is to say we as Muslims do not adopt conspiracy theories which discredit us, like David Icke, for instance, oh, who believes yes. that the, <laughs> the moon is an alien construct that beams down an energy onto Earth which gives us a certain view of reality. And the reptiles, he believes the royal family are... Is so it, is he it believes it, they... He'll, was it him, he, uh, David Yes, yeah, so he likens the, ro the royals to jinn. So jinn shapeshifters. Right. Shapeshifters. Okay, let's say they are jinn. The thing is, it really... Uh, you need empirical proof for such statements. You need a bit of evidence, yes. And <laughs> rather than just making assertions without having actual proof. Yes. So uh, one of the purposes of, of mentioning conspiracy theories was uh, to say that we shouldn't adopt positions which discredit us. Yep. But secondly, not to mix conspiracy theories with the hadith on the end of times. They're mm. two distinct things. Mm. And many Muslims are falling into this. People talk about jinn technology on uh, on videos they mention. Uh, everything's created by the jinns. And, uh, you know, the more bizarre the, the conspiracy theory, the more easily people are yes. consuming yes. that conspiracy yes. theory. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Uh, combining that with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu which gives it then credibility because it's an hadith mm. but yeah but it's actual in misinterpretation yeah uh, and not all hadiths of course are, are authentic um, well I, I think there's probably a good I mean, we could go on for hours talking about this. this I mean this book is very encyclopedic it's full of fascinating uh, stories observations analyses putting hadith in context discussing time scales the signs of the end uh, and I've learned a lot from um uh, reading this, to be honest, as uh, some old hadiths I thought I understood suddenly become very new to me and much more relevant, to be honest, than they were before, particularly about the end times, of course. So I, I, I do uh, recommend that people um, have a read, uh, Navigating the End of uh, Time. Uh, so it's available. Is it in paperback yet or is it still in hardback? It's gone to, it's only in hardback. Only in hardback. It's gone to third print, inshallah. Right. It'll be uh, available again on all platforms, uh, Amazon and other oh, it bookshops. It's yeah. easy to get hold inshallah. of. Inshallah. Fantastic. Well, thank yes. you so much, sir, for your Jazak time. Thank you very much. Nice meeting you as well nice again, inshallah. You. Inshallah. Thank you. Till next time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And there we have it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.